Good morning. You made it. Let's stand together and sing. I'm fighting a battle. You've already won. And no matter what comes my way, I will The story ends 
Good to see everyone. My name's Abel. This is Gabby. Glad to be with you today. Hey, how many of y'all uh, consider yourself northerners? Like, you're used to some cold. Yeah, there's a few of y'all, mostly in Packer gear. Uh, what about uh, southerners? What about some southerners in here? Proud of you guys. Now, northerners, y'all can look around and see who to laugh at because we are sad at all this stuff. I am sad today. Uh, we have a few things want to point your attention to. Um, you can see on, hopefully you got one of these little cards coming in, ways to connect in spring 2024. Did y'all get a card? People got these? Yeah, some, some cards. Okay. Well, it's on the screen as well. Um, the last, I'll start with the last one first. Core training cohort. So what this is starts this Tuesday and... You will, if you sign up for this, you will do uh, training. So Panorama, you watch Panorama or Our Faith or uh, Inductive Bible Study, How to Study God's Word. Um, 
And you will go through this training together online, and then you'll gather on Tuesday evenings for accountability and processing. So you'll get the learning outside the classroom and then in the classroom you process. So that starts this Tuesday if there are enough signups. So sign up for that. Uh, and then this upcoming Sunday, Discover starts. So if you're new, great first step. Uh, we put you into a small group where you can uh, meet other people. You learn about fellowship and uh, how we're structured here. So and then on the other side of your little uh, handy-dandy thing that uh, three of y'all have um, are our women's small groups. Tell us about that, Gabby. Yeah, so like Abel said, if you don't have one of these in the foyer after service is where you can grab one. But I want to just talk a little bit about women's studies this morning. Um, and so... We, those start here in the next couple weeks, and we've got opportunities in the morning, at night, and lunchtime, and just really wanted to invite women of all ages um, to come and join us for those. And so signups are online, um, but if you don't get around to that, just show up. We would love to have you, and I'm sure it would be okay. Um, if y'all will stand and just tell each other how proud you are that you braved the cold to come to church this morning.
Proclaim with our lives those truths that you are good and you are faithful. And God, when we struggle to believe that you are good, help our unbelief. Spirit, just wash over each person in this room, Lord, and help them to feel your nearness and your goodness and your faithfulness and that you have been faithful and you are faithful and you will forever be faithful. Help us to believe that today, Lord. I pray for Hunter as he's bringing your word this morning, God, that you would speak through him to each person here, that we would have ears to hear what you would say to us this morning. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in 2017, Alex and I bought a house uh, here in Bentonville. It's about two miles from here. It's 50 years old. And so pretty quickly, we just started renovating. Uh, ripped it all out, down to the studs. We were doing an addition. And we spent seven months doing most of the work ourselves. That season was a complete blur. Uh, it was 40 to 50 hours a week uh, here at Fellowship, 40 to 50 hours on top of that, nights and weekends working on the home. Uh, dinners on the floor most nights, uh, if we even got to eat dinner together. One of the perks of being a student pastor at that time was uh, some free labor every now and then. So thank you, Jordan and Niall, for your service. And uh, yeah, a lot happened. Also sliced my pinky tendon in half because I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, that was not in the remodel budget, as you can imagine. And it was a season that was just crazy. But I'll never forget moving in March of 2018, sitting on the couch and just breathing a sigh of relief of like, oh, it's done. Like, we were finally able to sell our other home, and we moved in, and we were in a home, and three weeks later, uh, it got hot enough, we needed to crank up the AC, and so we turned on the AC to cool the house down, and we realized really quickly, nothing. It wasn't working, and it was brand new. So we knew something was wrong, but we had absolutely no idea what it was and where to start. I am a grateful believer in Jesus, and I've struggled for most of my life with anger, uh, sexual addiction, and a fear of failure, and my name is Hunter. Hi, guys. Uh, we are in week two of a three-week series called Life's Healing Choices. Um, we'll be going through this series really to understand what are the choices that help us move from darkness into light, uh, from unhealth into health, from uh, woundedness into healing? What, what does that process look like? 
So week one, uh, last week, Rodney Holmstrom was here, and he, he shared basically on the concept of surrendering, of getting to a point where we realize that something is wrong, and we, at that point, need to surrender that situation and our lives uh, to the Lord, and realizing that, yeah, something's wrong, but God loves me too much to keep me here. And Johanna Musgrave gave her powerful testimony on what surrender looks like in her life. And so what do we do after that when we just, we realize something's wrong, we say, all right, God, here I am. Uh, today, we're going to be focusing in on accepting God's strength for that situation over our own will. And so when you get to the point where you realize something's wrong, AC's not working, can't figure it out, here are three choices that will help us walk through this process of accepting God's strength in a situation over our own. Number one is to let go. Uh, so to consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Uh, so not just to uh, acknowledge that something's wrong, but to, to give that circumstance over to the Lord and say, I need your help in this. And we do that often by choice number four here, uh, coming clean, openly examining and confessing my faults to myself, to God, and to someone that I trust. So we take things out of darkness and we put them into light where Satan has no power. And then it's out of that humility that we voluntarily submit to making changes, to any and all changes that God wants to make in my life, and humbly ask him to be the one to remove my character defects. And so little by little, situation by situation, prayer after prayer, God begins reshaping us into health. And we celebrate progress through this, not perfection, because it's often a really long uh, process. Now, you see some of the Beatitudes attached to these choices. That's where these choices really pull from. So we see that blessed are the, the meek, the pure in heart, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because it's those people, those types of people that will inherit the earth, that will see God, that will experience life and be filled. And so what I want to do is actually look at two other verses outside of uh, the Beatitudes that have been super helpful in my life, because I've had to go through this process many times. And whenever we get to a point where we realize something's wrong and we need some type of change, there's thousands of steps that we could take forward, depending on the situation that we are specifically in. But I want to give you two principles from Scripture that help us see how to walk through these and really apply to all of those uh, circumstances. The first one, when we get to that point, it's really related to surrender, but it's going to God first. Before we ever try to think of a plan to fix it, we go to God himself and God through scripture uh, to understand truth and our identity and wisdom. So this is the end of Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a Psalm of David, it's an Old Testament character that we'll start studying in detail uh, in two weeks as soon as we get done with this series. And in this Psalm, even from verse one, there's this posture of surrender from David, what we talked about last week, of God search me and know me. And he goes through this whole Psalm and then when he gets to the end, he brings it back up and re-invites God into his heart to do some searching and digging. He says, search me, God. Know my heart, the depths of it. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, any aspect of my character that leads to grief and lead me in the way everlasting. So in some ways, this is not a very bold prayer in that God already knows. Right? You're asking God to do something that like, he already knows. 
In another way, it's a very bold prayer because David is aligning his heart with God's and saying, not only no, but like, reveal it to me. I want to be led in the way of everlasting. I want to know that you've gone into these depths and you're bringing things up, maybe even that I don't know or fully understand. And it's important to remember that a healthy understanding of ourselves always begins with a healthy understanding of who God is and who he says we are. Uh, We can go to tools. There are lots of assessments and tools that help us understand who we are, different aspects of maybe the way that we're wired, but those should never take the place of or supersede what Scripture says about us as humans, as followers of, of Jesus. So the goal in in doing this heart assessment of like, God, I want you to examine who I am. I'm coming to you first. The goal is that we would be led in this way of everlasting. It's that we would experience life, right? I think of Psalm 1 and this visual of a tree that's planted by streams of water that's, that's yielding fruit in and out of season all the time because it has the source of life close. And for us to do that, to experience the source of life, we have to be fully known. First, by God. And remember, God is all-powerful, all-present, and all-knowing, which means he already knows us, right? And so it's worth asking ourselves the question, if God knows my thoughts, how does that make me feel? That's really not an if question, because the answer is yes, he does. So how does that make you feel? Comforting, maybe? Maybe a little terrifying? Probably a bit of both to be that intimately known that there's nothing in me that I can hide. You know, I've often asked myself, will I still be loved if people know who I am and know what I've done and what I feel and what I think and what I struggle with? And whenever my mind starts racing through that, I have to remember two things, and they're both related to Jesus. Number one is that Jesus loved me enough to come to this earth as a human and endure the cross. And the second is paired with it. He did it while knowing who I was. Romans says that it was while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he knew and he still went to the cross. And that's why I can trust in his power and his strength over my own will because it's rooted in in something far greater than I could ever conjure up. But this change process begins with this surrender to God first, knowing that he knows us fully. God examined me, helped me to understand who I am through you. And then second, there is a key aspect that we as followers of Jesus have to learn to consistently step into. Whenever I get to a point of brokenness, uh, here's what that brokenness tells me. Yes, Hunter, you can't do this on your own. So let go and then start making changes. So really what I'm doing is saying, I can't do it on my own, so I'm gonna try to do it on my own. And just start you know, submitting to, I'm gonna fight this in a different way, let's change some things, I've seen some progress. Like That's my go mode, I can defeat this, I will white knuckle this the American way, I'm gonna push through. And honestly, I try to forget that choice four even exists right there in the middle. But confession is the crux of this whole process of healing choices. Not just these three choices, I mean this whole series. Like this, it may not be the most important because they're all important, but it is the hinge from an internal realization of something to an external change. And I'll tell you this, Satan hates this process. He hates this one. 
which means when you get there, you will experience some resistance and some lies. One of the lies may be that, okay, let's say you decide to come clean. Well, it's really only the first two parts of it that are important, right? Examine yourself for sure. Understand that you're kind of messed up and confess that to God and allow him to heal you. But don't tell anybody else because think of what they would think about you now. Think the people that you'll hurt or the relationships that you might even break or lose. See, coming to God is way easier for us because, like we said, he already knows. And two, he has proven himself to be a God of grace and forgiveness. So we know how he will respond to his children. But what about other humans? Humans are crazy. All of us. We don't know what's in the heart of that other person or what they will think or how they will respond. But James 5.16 just lays it out clearly for us where it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We confess to God to experience life and forgiveness. We confess to others to find healing, and it is a key part of the process. This very well may be the hardest step that you ever have to take as a follower of Jesus, to take what is inside here and to set it out for one or two or a few trusted people. This, this verse is in a greater context of, of sickness and healing and coming to the elders for, for anointing and for prayer, but the principle in it applies to all of us that we confess sins to each other and pray for each other to experience health and healing. We often say around here that there is healing in revealing, in putting things into light. One of the rules that we try to live by in our home is the 2% rule, which has nothing to do with milk. It is a helpful association for our kids, but often what it is, often when we confess sins we, or, or situations, we confess 98%, but we hold back that small portion. Whether it's fear or pride or guilt, we give enough to be honest, but not enough to actually be free. And holding back that 2%, y'all, for so much of my life, I didn't realize how much of a stronghold that had in other aspects of my life. But what it does is it keeps us in this cycle, this cycle of messy life events leading us to being wounded. These may be decisions we make or things that happen to us, but it leads to wounds. And when they're not dealt with, those can internalize into false beliefs which can lead us to sinful behaviors and addictions and habits that then end up hurting other relationships around us, which lead to more messy life events. And you get stuck in this cycle and we cannot get ourselves unstuck. And despair, guilt, anger, fear that nothing will change sets in. But something in us tells us, no, 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 I can defeat this. I can get out of this cycle. And that's exactly what the enemy wants us to think that it's better if it's kept in darkness because darkness is Satan's territory. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called Screwtape Letters, a fascinating book, kind of a, a fiction, fictional account of a look into the mind of a demon. If a demon was trying to prevent a human from experiencing life in Jesus, what would their conversations be like? And there's a line in here from the perspective of the demon where he says, oh, it doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man from the light and out into nothing. 
let's make him think that this isn't a big deal, that he really, he or she really doesn't have to process it. That's going to keep them in this cycle, out in this nothingness, right where we want them. But when we are in the cycle, the thing that breaks it for us is confession. Confession is the best next step, honestly, no matter where you're at in that. Uh, The best time to confess is immediately when something happens. Don't know what the second best time is? Now and today, and to not let it grow in you. By the way, confession is not always about sin. Often it is, but confession is an agreement with God. So it may be something that's happened to you, something you're internalizing and processing, lies that you believe, anything like that. And so confession is saying, this thing exists, and I cannot handle it myself. But please do not miss the most powerful portion of the verse here in James 5.16. It's not just confession, it's confession coupled with prayer. We confess to each other, and in that, we pray for each other to experience healing. Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And we cannot forget that prayer is the most powerful tool that God has given us as his followers because it's intimately connected with his power. Which means that when you confess in prayer, you're never confessing alone. That what God is calling you into, he also has the strength to fulfill. And he's in this process with us the whole time. So we take the things that are dark, right? We, we get those revealed from God. We know what they are. And we put them in front of other people. Easy, right? A plus B. As soon as you get to that point, I guarantee you, you will experience one or all of these in some way. Some type of pride that says, honestly, I just don't want people to know. It's just simple. I just don't want them to know. I like the way that people see me now. And I've seen progress, like I'm working towards this. And I don't want that to mess up my reputation. Maybe it's guilt, just feeling too ashamed to actually even ask for help, feeling unlovable. Rodney Holmstrom reminded some of our leaders, reminded some of our leaders this last week that guilt is saying that I've done something bad. Shame is saying I'm actually bad. I am a bad person. And guilt and shame prevent us from ever being fully known. But you know what the shame killer is, the quickest one? It's vulnerability. It's putting things into the light. But maybe you don't struggle with those. You just have doubt that, like, what good is this even going to do? It's not going to change the poor decisions or the circumstances, so why go through the pain that it's going to lead me in afterwards? Or maybe it's fear of that pain or of the unknown or of the brokenness that could come, the reputation or the relationships that could be shattered. In 2018, I felt every single one of those things. So Alex and I had moved into this home, and we were sitting there on the couch. We realized the AC is not working, and so we start coming up with a game plan. And we call our HVAC guy over, and he comes into the house, and he's running pressure tests in the attic, trying to figure out, like, why is this air conditioner not actually working? And he gets to the point where he's in our closet, and he says, okay, I've narrowed it down, and you have a hole in your copper pipe somewhere in this wall. And this was in our beautiful closet that I had built. Y'all, it was gorgeous. I mean, it was mudded, taped, textured, painted, shelving, rails, trim work, like all of it. It was done. And so I'm like, well, what are we going to do? And he says, well, we got to cut it open. And it killed me. I did it. 
killed me. I took a drywall knife that uh, afternoon and just cut a massive hole in our closet. And I reach up, I'm feeling around this pipe, and at the very top I feel it. There's a nail that had come through the siding when the siding was being installed, and it hit this. And that tiny puncture was preventing our whole house from being cool. And it had been like that for months. We just didn't know it because we hadn't tried to turn on the AC yet. But that day, we realized it. And the only way to repair it was to cut it out and insert a new pipe. We actually keep this in our kitchen uh, as a reminder of the season. But on the new pipe that's in the wall, like there's scars from the soldering that took place. Like there's scars on the drywall, drywall from me patching it, for sure, you can tell. But it's working. And in that moment, I had no idea the fact that this would become the metaphor of my life just five months later. For years, I carried the weight of uh, pornography and hidden sexual sin. Um, and Alex and I had processed it a little bit in dating. And, but what I'd done is given the 98%. And you know, we get into marriage, now I'm a pastor, I'm fighting this, fighting this, and still just secretly falling in different ways and just feeling the shame of what that has meant and how it's carried into our marriage. And so eventually I had to rip open the walls seven years into marriage and allow God to do work uh, by shining a light through confession and forgiveness. Um, and y'all, the walls looked pretty. I mean, it looked really good, but inside something was off and I knew it. It was actually August of 2018. I was in Dallas uh, for a seminary small group of all things with some other men. Seven years in a marriage, like I said, finally felt constrained by the Spirit to actually speak some of this truth, all of this truth, into light. And it was a process, y'all, where I felt for the first time known and freed and cared for by Jesus. And it was like a backpack full of rocks had been lifted off of me and I was walking in freedom. But I knew, I knew the hardest part was that I was going to have to drive five hours home and tell the person that I loved the most that I'd been hiding and that I'd hurt them. And that was my wife. So three days later, I drove home, and it was like I took this heavy backpack and placed it on Alex. Hi. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with codependency, sexual addiction, and low self-confidence. My name is Alex. Hi, Alex. So fall of 2018 was by far the hardest season of our marriage as I watched my sin now affect my whole family um, and hurt the person that, that I loved. And so will you just share what that process was like sitting with me late that night, gosh, like 11 p.m. when I got home? Yeah. Um, I first want to say that it's, been six years, almost six years, and the pain is still very real. And I remember sitting on our couch like it was last night. Um, and we, we've shared this part of our story many times, so it's become familiar to me over the years. And it's kind of like a companion, um, but it's still hard. And I still cry about it at times. Not every time, but sometimes. And yeah, what I didn't know was, like, we had already talked about pornography and Hunter struggled with it, but what I didn't know was that he had only shared with me 98%. It was that 2% that I didn't know existed and I didn't know it had carried into our marriage. 
And so when you said your the first words you said were, I need to tell you something. I, I didn't know what you were going to say, but your body language was telling me that it was something really difficult. And so I had just immediately started praying. And I asked God to prepare me. And I asked him to strengthen me. I asked Jesus to remind me of his grace and the Holy Spirit to give me the words to say to respond well. Um, and I was, I was in shock. I was angry. I felt betrayed and really hurt and deeply saddened. Um, and I, it was just one of those moments where I, I hoped that what I had hidden in my heart was scripture because I was being squeezed. And when you're squeezed, a lot of times what comes out is on the inside. And I had to choose to do what I'd learned over the years of following Jesus. I had to choose to give you grace upon grace. And I had to choose, I had to remember that while I'm a sinner, Jesus died for me. And forgiveness, 70 times seven. And to treat you and love you the way Jesus would love you, not the way I would love you. Um, and one of my favorites is just the father of the prodigal son running toward him to embrace him when he returns. And I tried my best to keep a calm face, and I knew that you had told me something really precious. I have, I have one I left. This? Thank you. Hopefully we don't need to share it. <laughs> I'll try not to blow my nose. <laughs> but if we do, it's okay. Um, I got to blow my nose outside. <laughs> it's, it's yours, all yours. Okay. I'm not taking that back. <laughs> Um, I, I knew that what you had done was very difficult and very precious to you. And it was like you had this really thin paned glass box that said, this is who I really am. And it was, you were handing it to me and it was a delicate gift that needed delicate receiving. And I, I just remember there's verses that just came to my mind. Um, like we are not meant to carry this burden of sin alone. We can't. We will be crushed under the weight of it. And if the extent to which God the Father was willing to go to free us that free us from that forever was to have his own son die, then the same is true for us. And it just made me weep to think that all of those years, you thought you could bear that alone and that you could or you should do it. And so I just, I wanted you to know that I was a safe place and that together, hand in hand, we would walk with the spirit in this. Um, and if I remember correctly, I thanked you for sharing that with me because I knew it was really difficult. And there's a lot of times in our home where we can tell the difference between one of our boys being sad that they had punched their brother and one of them being sad that they had been found out to punch their brother. Yeah. There, there is a difference. And this was a, a mourning of your sin. Like you were sad in such a way and broken in such a way that I knew that it was genuine and real. And you were exposed and vulnerable and scared. And you needed me to be gentle and kind with you. And once I had gathered myself and I was able to speak, I took the opportunity to share with Hunter all of the things that I, t I thought I would never tell anyone because I had those secrets too. So imagining what it would be like to be him really wasn't a far stretch. Um, and I proceeded to tell him things that I thought people would find me disgusting for or not want to be my friend anymore or judge me as a follower of Jesus or as a mom. And I, I knew that you were a safe place for me and I'm just thankful that our marriage was that. 
Because confession is stepping out onto the plank of faith that says who Jesus says I am has to be enough. And I'm trusting that it's enough. And the Lord looks on the heart while, other, the, while people look at the outward appearance. And you just, I just had to know that Jesus' opinion of me and his identity of me was what I needed to hold on to. Um, and last week, Rodney reminded us that if you're always stiff-arming someone to keep them at a distance from finding out who you truly are, you can't be close enough to someone for them to fully embrace you, and you can't be close enough for you to be fully embraced. And when we do premarital, we remind people that unconditional love is loving someone while fully knowing them. And like loving someone for what they presented to you is really easy, but loving someone for who they are and what they've done can be really, really hard. Yeah, and I mean, from the start, I felt that unconditional love. I mean, it was a very vulnerable place. I was very embarrassed, um, very sad. Um, and you and I both know that it wasn't just easy, like, hey, that's okay. Like, I forgive you. Let's move on with our lives. And so would you just kind of share a little bit about the phases that we went through after that? Yeah, I often, when we tell this story, I think about it in, like, it's a five-part story, if you include before. So it's before this happened, and then Hunter's initial confession, then my confession to Hunter, the three to four weeks that followed, and then from there up until today. And I think that those three weeks that followed were just as difficult as the first moment. Um, I had just been deeply wounded, probably the most I'd ever been in my life by the person that I loved the most. And the person that I would go to to process this hurt and pain is the person who caused it. And it just made me feel really alone and betrayed. And I, it would have been easy for me to just like, okay, that's that, we're gonna move on. But I felt the Lord gently prodding me to lean into his spirit. And I remembered that the pathway to ease is wide and often traveled, but the pathway to healing is narrow and it's steep and you can't do it on your own, but it leads to life. And I felt like if my end goal was a healthy marriage rooted in Christ, that this pathway was the only pathway forward through forgiveness and grace. And I remember being in our closet and sitting, laying on the ground, crying, lots of tears, and I felt the Holy Spirit's presence. And it wasn't like he was standoffish, like looking at me like, you need to get it together. Why are you still crying? Why are you moping? He wasn't like that at all. He was gentle, and he came down to me, and he tucked me in the way a mother would hold a scared child, and he, he held me close and tight, and I remember him saying, I know what it's like to be betrayed and abandoned by the ones closest to you, but I will never leave you, and I won't forsake you, and I'm going to be with you even until the end. And what I didn't know is that I was going to need to have that experience with the Lord because four years from that time, we would lose our unborn son. And again, I would be crying out to the Lord like, I'm so glad I know that you're here, but this hurts and it's hard. But I'm thankful that the Lord draws near to those who draw near and that he doesn't waste our pain. I'm also really thankful that Hunter gave me space. I'm really thankful that you gave me space and time 
like to work this out on my own and my own process because grief isn't linear. There is no forward path and like clear direction. It goes, your grief goes wherever it goes. And I, I would check in every few hours and Hunter would ask me, how's it going? And I would say like, I still love you. I'm still here. I will always love you, but this is really hard and I need time to process. And just to put my emotions into words because I was not good at that at that time. And after a few days, I felt ready to process with someone that wasn't Hunter. So we brought in Abel and Sarah Schaefer, and we saw them as mentors at the time, and we trusted them. And I sat at Sarah's kitchen table with only her, and with Hunter's permission, shared Hunter's sin with her, because I just needed a trusted friend who could sit in it with me. And there is something to be said about speaking things out loud, bringing them into the light and speaking them aloud in Jesus' name. And Psalm 139.12 is one of my favorite verses. It says that even the darkness is not dark to God, and the night will shine like the day, for night is as light to him. And those three weeks, I cried everywhere. There was no not crying. Um, I cried in our house and out of our house, in the car, at Walmart, while I was eating, while I was sleeping, at church, like, you name the place, I was there crying. And the Lord healed me through those tears, and he healed me through God's word, and he healed me through other people. And we set up accountability. We went back to counseling. We both confessed our own stuff to our people. So Hunter brought in some men from his men's group, and I, brought, I sat across the table some, from some of my closest friends. Um, and we just walked a new path of healing together, hand in hand with the Holy Spirit and other people. And it may be like almost six years since, but I still have a hard time trusting at times. And Hunter, for the first year, would ask like, how are you feeling about that day? And I would be honest with him. Like sometimes I was like, I don't wanna go there. So I just said, fine, or I'm doing better. But a lot of the times I was very honest and I said, I'm having a hard time trusting you right now or I'm having a hard time not believing lies about you, or I'm struggling to not harbor bitterness or harsh thoughts against you. And honesty became central to our relationship. And for anybody who is thinking that you, are, you need to confess something, or if you're about to receive confession, which you don't know that you're about to get, I would just remind you that um, None of us meet God's standard of holiness any more than the next person. And Jesus died for you just as much as he died for the person across the table from you. And if your friend or your spouse or your sibling or anybody, if they come to you and they want to confess something, just remember that that is a wonderful gift of vulnerability from the Lord. And not to take it lightly, or flippantly, like sometimes the best thing is just to sit and listen and to be a good friend. And also that our sin always affects other people, directly or indirectly, like it affects our physical bodies, but it also affects the body of Christ. And yes, what has happened is fixed in time forever and it can't be changed. And yes, there are consequences of sin and that varies in degree, and some things will take longer to process than other things, but Jesus made a way to break free from that cycle, and he made a way through his death. 
And the accountability and Hunter confessing and us going to counseling, like that wasn't a fix-all and a full healing of all sin forever. It was just the beginning of a new, way, a new pathway of life in Jesus. And hand in hand, we were going to do that together because following Jesus is difficult, but in the end, it leads to life. And that's what makes the difficulty worth it. Thank you for sharing that. I, um, I learned so much about not only myself, but Jesus and his way through this process and a lot through um, through Alex, one of the verses that stood out to me as I was reconciling and trying to heal was I realized in living in hidden sin for two decades um, that I had this image of God being this judge, sometimes even with a robe, right, standing there with a book next to a door that he's saying, you're not coming in here. What are you doing with your life? Like, why? You're better than this. Like, get up. And that, nev- that visual never pushed me to change. And it was this verse, Romans 2, 4, where it says, do you disregard the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance? And Alex, you actualized that image of Jesus for me and helped me see that it's actually Jesus carrying his cross saying, just come rest in me. Like I am the source of life and I want you to find healing and to stop uh, walking in darkness. And so, I'm so grateful for you, Alex House, and I love you so much. And um, we want all people in here to know that you have every right to ask those around you the hard questions, whether it's a spouse, a sibling, a roommate, someone in a men's group or women's group, like, hey, is there anything that you need to share with me? Anything that's just been weighing you down and you just need someone to ask so that we can put these things into light? Because we obviously have realized that this process is not easy at all. We're still working through it six, seven years later, but we will take a scar over an open wound that's hidden any day so that we can find life. We share this part of our story whenever we share our story. Most of the time, it's with 10 people in a community group, so this is a bit different, and so thank you for stepping into this uh, with me. And last thing that we'll leave you with is, is this verse, and it's just a reminder that this, this process of hiding from our sin, right, this is not new at all. In fact, you can trace it all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. Yeah, in the garden, Adam and Eve, the moment that they sinned, the first thing that they did next was that they hid in their shame and they tried to cover themselves. And just the Lord's loving kindness, that he knew that what they tried to do just wouldn't work. So a few verses later, we see that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. Like, they tried to use plants to cover their sin. Like they will, they will be crushed and crumble into nothingness pretty soon. And the Lord knew that they needed something more permanent, that they needed blood shed for them. And so we see him providing that, that first sacrifice for their, for their sin. And it's the, still the same today. Like our attempts to cover our own sin, it just won't work. We were not created to do that and for that to work for us. And thankfully, through Christ, God does still do that. And through Christ's sacrifice, we are clothed in righteousness and we're cared for so that we can have life and have it abundantly. That life comes from Jesus. And so I want to give just a space for you in your own heart um, to connect with him in this moment. And what that's going to look like is you finishing this phrase. You may finish it with multiple things. Lord, I need you for this and I need you for this and in this situation. Or there may just be one thing that's coming to your mind, like, Lord, I know, and I need you in this. So the band's going to come out, 
and they're going to give us just a, an extended time of reflection for you to spend with the Lord, the one who is saying, like, come to me. Like, don't stay away. Come to me because I have life and I want to walk with you out of darkness into light. So take uh, a few minutes and spend time with him and this statement. Sin runs deep, your grace is more, grace is found, that's where
my song your eyes to me when temptation comes my way when I cannot stand I'll fall to Jesus you're my hope if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That's just true. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've had some time to to just bring our need before Jesus, um, to bring our sin, to confess um, and personally this morning, but I want us to stand together now, and I want us to join our voices as a community to confess uh, to our Savior. So I'll read the leader, you join me for all. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior.
Jesus and over every heart and every mind cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus church believe this good news Jesus died for us Jesus rose for us Jesus intercedes for us in him we are a new creation in him we have forgiveness of sin in him we have a savior to God be the glory forever and ever amen shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets come on Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name. Jesus. Oh, Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over God, you are the one who tells us in the Proverbs that your name is a strong tower, and we run into it and are saved. Lord, we recognize that the name of Jesus, uh, that word, it's a statement of authority and power, of rule and reign. You tell us that there will be a day when every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow, and utter the fact that you are the ruler, the reign, the strong tower, the one who we give our praise. This morning, you've given us the joy. During these days on earth, you've given us the joy of willingly putting our life under your leadership. Thank you for being a strong tower and a safe tower that saves us. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Could I ask you to be seated for just a brief moment? And while you do that, it gives me a chance to say thank you to Alex and thank you to Hunter uh, for modeling to us what it is like to be the Church of Jesus Christ together. Uh, the people who are growing in our healing and our wholeness towards holiness, a sense of wholeness in God. But we're all broken, 
And we walk that path, uh, both with this humble, courageous uh, confession, but also this sense of not walking alone, inviting others into it. It's good to be here and do that, isn't it? And by the way, if you're brand new here and you've walked into this series and it just feels kind of like, wow, that's different. That is a good thing. In fact, I would look to you and say, you probably fit right in here. Welcome to a motley crew. You're going to do just fine here. And you get to walk with the rest of us who are broken in our sin as well as we look for wholeness and healing in Christ Jesus. And so that's what our hope is for you. But hey, this morning, I want to bring before you a staff change that is happening uh, among us during this time. And that staff change really wraps around uh, Seth Prim's role as worship pastor here and the joys alongside of him. I want to let you know that Seth will be leaving us and heading towards a role as the associate pastor at Christ the King Anglican Church in Springdale, Arkansas. A role really brand new in many, many ways of what he's done the last 20 years in worship pastor, where he will take on a lot more of spiritual formation, discipleship, and associate pastor role there. And uh, we wanted to bring that to you and recognize that that is news that is both hard and good. And it's a hard thing because Seth and I have had almost 20 years, I guess 19 years, of working together, and it has been absolutely a joy. Uh, to such an extent, occasionally you find those partners in your work where you just read off of each other and ping off of each other and draft off of each other, and it's easy. That's how it's been with, with Seth. And so it is hard news in that sense, but it's also good news in the sense that, uh, first of all, Seth and Joy, and we've walked through this process for months, they are chasing after the will of God in both faith and obedience. And as a brother in Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we celebrate that. We always celebrate faith and obedience and following Jesus wherever he leads. And I've watched you do that process and you've done it well. Um, also a good thing because you both have modeled our mission statement. In fact, you embody it. Our mission statements produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ. Seth, when he uh, came and joined us, when he and Mickey met for the first time, um, I think you said in the first service you were 23, not a gray hair on him. That didn't happen until he was 24 and a half. I won't say that you did that to me, but... <laughs> yes, I could be about the same time we started working together. It's true. Never mind. Uh, but I remember during that time, you're joining the choir and just wanted to sing a little bit. You were working in town and then maybe lead a little bit. And then lead a song a little bit, and then come on as a worship pastor here. And I'll tell you, over the last decade to 12 years, I have watched a pastor of pastors emerge uh, out of his leadership, uh, a worship pastor who has groomed up and released more worship leaders and pastors behind him. And so it is a joy to release you in that. Um, if we're going to do kingdom movement as a church, and I hope we don't have our eyes set on anything else, just doing church, playing church, ugh, it's too cold a morning to get out of bed for that, isn't it? But to be part of a kingdom movement, that means we're going to have to get used to two things all the time, gospel hellos and gospel goodbyes, because God will send people to us, we joyfully receive and partner with what he's doing in their life, and then say goodbye, sometimes with tears, uh, if what he's doing next. In fact, the only church that chooses just to hold on to everybody that comes, they call that kind of church a stagnant church, and that doesn't want to be us. So we joyfully embrace the news and get behind you.
Uh, do you have anything you want to jump in on? Um, I, I would just say that God is good. Uh, he's been incredibly good to me, to us, to our family uh, over these years uh, with you all. And a big piece of that goodness is, uh, is you guys, uh, the staff here as well, the leaders in my life that have poured into me and loved us and provided community and f really spiritual family. Um, and so we are obviously excited and anticipating where God is leading us. Um, we had no real imagination for it. We weren't looking for it. Uh, Jesus kind of took us by the hand in the fall and said, hey, if you're willing, let's go on this new journey. And uh, so we're excited. Um, and we're also deeply uh, grieved, as you can imagine. Uh, sad to, to say bye, though we'll still be here in Northwest Arkansas, so we'll still get to visit from time to time, and hopefully in that kingdom movement, uh, there'll be a partnership um, and it across, across Northwest Arkansas. And so we look forward to being a part of whatever that looks like in the future. Um, but really, our, at the bottom of it all, we're just so grateful. We're grateful to God, and we're grateful for you, and uh, we love you guys so much. Uh, Seth enjoys last Sunday with us. We'll be January 28th, so in two weeks, and we get a chance to pray over them and thank them as well then. But until then, can I ask you to stand? I want to tell you two things. First of all, our prayer team uh, would love to pray with you, pray for you. There may be something God has identified this morning please chase him in that same sense of faith and obedience. And maybe a step of obedience for you would be to come to Dick and Connie Nervig, who will be right in front of the baptistry, and ask them for prayer. Likewise, if we can help you, our Celebrate Recovery team is out at the, what, the booth that's uh, by the exit doors on the left there. We have four or five members that are leaders from our CR team that would love to help you understand some next steps you can take, as well as even our Connections team at the community booth. Seth, would you give us the benediction and lead us through the serenity prayer this morning? We'd love to. All right, let's, let's pray this together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. We love you. We'll see you next week.